0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: I'm Caleb Zacharin, the assistant editor of the New Books Network, and you're listening to New Books in Popular Culture. Today, I'm speaking with Jody Rosen about his new book, Two Wheels Good, the history and mystery of the bicycle from Crown Publishing. Jody writes for the New York Times Magazine, where he has written about everything from Mr. Softee's ice cream to scam rap. Two Wheels Good is a sweeping exploration of the bicycle, From its invention in 1817 to the present day this book was truly a joy to read and readers will no doubt find that the bicycle's place in modern history should not be underestimated jody thank you for joining me today on the new books network
0: thanks caleb really happy to be here
2: so first question sort of standard with new books network is if you could just tell me a little bit about your background and why it is that you chose to write a book about the history of the bicycle
0: yeah, so let's see. Well, I'll, I'll try and do the. Uh, should I do the short version of my background, or and, and how oh, I got go for I,
2: the long version? Go for the long okay. version. It's it's NewBooks <laughs> Network. So okay. Um,
0: well, uh, you know, I um, I kind of um, I started out way way back when um, thinking I was going to be an academic. So I was doing graduate work at one point with an eye to being like an American cultural historian. And for various reasons, um, chiefly my, my not wanting to take a good job that wasn't in New York City, like in, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska or someplace like that, essentially to to anywhere other than New York, I realized um, that among other things was the, the academic career path was not for me. So I've always been kind of a, a frustrated like lay historian, hack historian <laughs> um, and, um, uh, and sort of envy my friends who wound up in the academy in various ways. Um, but I also was very fortunate to kind of fall into a career in journalism and, and uh, I, when I say f- fall in that's more or less what I did because I wound up writing a couple things for the online magazine Salon back in the late nineties. And then I, I got a call from an editor at the New York Times and suddenly I was doing pieces for the arts and leisure section there about music. The reason I was doing them about music is A, I always loved music, but the pieces I'd done for Salon had been about music. So, so I kind of became not uh, because it was, you know, my explicit career plan, but I became a music critic kind of by default because I was, I was anointed as one and may, and wound up doing that for some years um, for various publications, including the online magazine Slate. I was the music critic for The Nation. I was a music critic for New York Magazine for a while, wrote a lot for the Times and, and other outlets, Rolling Stone. Um, and I always felt like, I, I mean, I love writing about popular music. It, I still do it to an extent, but I always felt like a frustrated generalist um, like I was kind of pigeonholed in, as a music critic and didn't want to be one. Um, so uh, so I had to kind of through various career intrigues and machinations make my way over to being accepted as a generalist. Um, one thing that characterized i'd say the the music criticism i did was a kind of a long view i was always very interested in history so even if i'd be writing about you know hip-hop which i did a lot of i'd also be like trying to bring in you know circa 1911 irving berlin (laughs) that kind of thing so so anyway I, i i wound up eventually getting a job at the times style magazine the magazine t as their, um, as as what was called a critic at large, where I where I then suddenly wasn't just writing about music, but I was writing pieces about a little bit of everything politics, culture, transportation. Um, And transportation was always a big interest of mine. So to circumnavigate now, as if on a meandering bike ride to the bicycle. Yeah, I've always ridden a bike every day, all the time, my entire adult life. And a substantial period of my childhood. It was my primary means of transportation. Um, and have always been fascinated by, by the bike as, as a cultural object, as a um, as an you know, an, a, an art object, um, and have been fascinated by its history. And, and there's, there's, there's an extensive literature on the bicycle, um, which I've kind of vacuumed up over the years. Um, but I found myself frustrated with a lot of at least the kind of popular literature, the trade literature on the bike because it was in various ways, I thought a little parochial in its interests, you know is mostly um, focused on um, America and Western Europe, even though the bicycle was a very much a global phenomenon and there are many, many more bikes. For instance, in the global South, than they are in the around these parts, um, and also, you know, the that literature is often quite romantic and sentimental about the bike. So, um, I should say there's a there's a very robust academic literature on the bicycle, which I am in, indebted to, and I sort of, you know, when I turned more seriously to this project, started reading a lot of that too. But that is, as I promised, a long answer. Because the, about how I got to this subject, it was something I always wanted to do, had contemplated for various years for many years. And um, at some point, I said, okay, i'm going I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna sit down and and write a book proposal and try and get a deal to to write about the bicycle. And that's that's what happened. Uh, and I got that deal I, I'll, I'll say uh, a lot longer ago than <laughs> than I should have. That is to say, it took me it took me forever and a day to write this book. Um, but I'm 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 pleased that it's that I've I finally got it done and out in the world.
2: What percentage of the book would you say was written while riding on a bike? Where it was this? Your kind of you know you're thinking about this book, your companion piece, while you were riding around.
0: Uh, good question. I don't know how to break it down in percentage terms. I don't know about writing, but certainly the the thinking, the the musing on the bike. You know my my deep thoughts as it were about about the bicycle as a kind of sen- the the sensual experience sensual experience of riding the bike and and um and um, things i write about about the the kind of engineering of the bike those thoughts um, very much consume me when i'm out on the bike um you know uh, also i think a lot about the way um the way one I- interacts with the environment in- environment with the cityscape with new york in particular when i'm out on the bike and so yeah this i've done i've done i've done a lot of um kind of contemplating of these various topics while out on the bike and and when writing this book you know whenever i was stuck i think i mentioned this in the book but when i was like stuck or like you know experienced some form of writer's block or just was like couldn't couldn't hack it couldn't type another word um i'd I'd head out on the bike kind of ride going nowhere in particular. And that, that generally was a a good way to shake things loose and, and (laughs) to get the juices flowing again.
2: So, you know, you begin the book by telling this sort of story where you go to this, um, this church in England, and there's this, this window pane, uh, which is, you know, legend has it that it's of a a bicyclist. Uh, It's not, but why did you choose to start the, start the book with this story and how does you know how does this sort of frame this idea of the bike even though it does have this sort of very you know more or less established origin in 1817 this kind of idea that the bike is something that you know has existed for for all time for since the beginning of human history maybe
0: yeah yeah well I mean I guess the, like a, a crucial fact there and one of like the these central central facts and conundrums of the bicycle is is that it arrived so late Uh, you know it's the the technology to create a bike has been available since the middle ages but for various reasons you know humankind never got around to like creating the bike proper um, until this relatively recent date in history you know it's the second decade of the of the 19th century and I think that's that's part of the reason that um, there's so many apocryphal stories, kind of you know, bogus origin stories, creation myths that have circulated around the bike um, uh, since, its, since its invention. And, and you know, also it's 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 such a simple machine. It's such sort of like a an, a, a and it's so a sent, How do I? How should I put this? The, yeah, it's, it's simple. There's there's, there's, very little, there's very few working parts in the bicycle. You look at it, it's kind of transparent. You can read how it works almost without ever. If, if you were a person who just you know, teleported down earth and never seen a bicycle, I think you'd pretty quickly be able to figure out how the machine worked and how to ride one, at least in theory. Um, so, so for that reason, again, it seems like something that's, that's um, elemental and, and that should have been there you know, for all time, or should have been, you know, its origins should have been in antiquity and not in, you know, the not something you could trace to to the Duchy of Baden in 1817. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I noticed in, in the literature that there were a lot of these, these bogus stories. And in fact, um, a lot of that stuff has wound up in books that are, you know, published by respectable Presses my my own my own day job in New York Times. You know when I was researching this book, I um, in 1974 there was there was a um, the purported discovery of a of a bicycle, um, a drawing of a, a very modern looking bicycle in the in the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci. This was story was reported all over the world and quickly exposed as a hoax. But in in the New York Times, they're reporting on this on this discovery. They say. Uh, yeah, there's also, you can, you can, if you look at bas-reliefs, you can find images of bicycles that are, that we can trace back to ancient Babylonia Babylonians, <laughs> um, you know, Egypt and, you know, ancient Rome. So this, this, the, all of these myths have worked their way into very respectable, respectable literature and journalism and that kind of persistence of these, of these tall tales fascinated me. So yeah, I went to, um, I went in particular to look at this one the window pane you mentioned, which is in a beautiful little church in the village of Stoke Poges in England, and um, and it's 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 an image whose provenance is still disputed, but it is definitely not an image of a bicycle. And yet, there's been this kind of um, you know this uh, almost spiritual aura that has surrounded this thing, in part because it sits in a church, and there still are pilgrims who go to Stoke Poges to you know drink in the the um the the so-called bicycle window and and i I think some of them may (laughs) believe that they're 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 communing with the 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 proto the ur bicycle when they look at that thing
2: so to talk about the you know the 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 true origin story what you know there's this sort of interesting theory that you outline uh it's it's not your theory but it's uh it's one that you know is is even promoted on uh you know, coinage, German coinage, this idea that the bicycle was invented uh, because of a uh, volcanic explosion. So what's the story there? And what's the origin story, actual invention? And who is this, you know, this very interesting, almost absurd figure who invented the bicycle?
0: Right. So, so the inventor of the bicycle is a guy named Karl von Dreis who was a, a minor German nobleman um, He was living in Mannheim at the time of this invention he was, a, he, was he, he was technically a forester this was his the chief forester of the, of the Duchy of Baden but in, in practice he didn't really do much foresting. Um, he um, kind of had that appointment and drew a salary but spent his time kind of daydreaming and tinkering and he actually invented a lot of cool little gizmos a kind of kind of prototype write, typewriter various dictation devices other other cool gadgets but he was particularly interested in the in the in the question of of horseless travel because of course at this time the, the 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 only way to move swiftly over land was by hitching up some kind of draft animal to some sort of cart you know horse or donkey or dog or whatever to drag you across across land. And so in in, in 1817, um, after various attempts, he makes this kind of Eureka breakthrough where he, instead of putting two wheels um, on either side of some sort of carriage or cart or device, he lines them up in a row and realizes that by putting, stretching, kind of connecting them with a piece of wood and then straddling that device as you would a horse, you can stay balanced and move the thing forward. Um, the device he created was, he called a, a laufmaschine or a running machine. That's because it was, um, it was a thing that you literally kind of, as I say, straddled and ran while straddling, ran across the ground while straddling. You rode it by, by um, putting it, centering your body weight in it and kind of scooting or skating your feet across the ground, much like the little wooden balance bikes that children use today to learn to ride. Those are very much just modern laufe machines. Um, as for how the circumstances under which, you know, the circumstances that led to his, this eureka moment, this breakthrough for him, that is um, unknown and, and a subject of some dispute in, in bicycle historiography. Um, the, the story that you're referring to and one that is, that is um, just a theory, but widely accepted is the idea that, <clears throat> pardon me, that um, at that at the time of its invention in 1816, um, there was this ecological, <laughs> this, this environmental catastrophe. There was a an explosion. Uh, to to make a long story short, a a a, a giant eruption of a volcano um, on an island in Indonesia, um, which shot so much um, <laughs> uh, dust, so much, so, many, uh, so much dust into the atmosphere that it dimmed the sun dim the sun and led to all kinds of um, bad climactic (laughs) consequences for much of the world in the West. Uh, This is the famous year without a summer of 1816 when um, there was snow in the winter in North America, I'm sorry, pardon me, snow in the summer in North America, very cold temperatures, crops died, horses dropped dead. Um, There were shortages of, of, Feed for the horses, and it was because of this that um, the theory goes that Karl von Dreis, his thoughts, he was sitting there um, in in Bavaria. The, the temperatures were cold in the summer. There were there was not enough there weren't enough oats to feed the horses, and suddenly he was like, "We got to come up with some horse alternative here," and and so his 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 thoughts, the story goes, was turned once again to the question of horseless transport, and he came up with this. This Lauf machine or a running machine, um, you know, I am a little skeptical that that is the true story. It's a it's a theory that was espoused by a great scholar named named um, uh, Hans Erhard Lessing, um, but he himself admits that it's just a theory. The only thing that that Carl von Dreis him, said himself in his own writings about this invention was that he was inspired by ice skating. So that again, points to A, uh, an origin in the wintertime and also makes sense given that you kind of impel this thing by skating your feet across the ground.
2: So just, you know, even a, a couple of years later, you know, the, the Lauf machine or the, the Velocipede, the you know, many, many different names for it had already made its way to England. And you have this, uh, you know, Really great little tale of the, uh, you know, these um, these lords and uh, barons, you know, participating in a in a dandy horse race, uh, and if you could talk a little about, you know, the kind of initial uh, reception of the bicycle and its impact on culture.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, well, Dreis was a kind of promoter, a sort of. Huck- in his way of his um, of his invention uh, he took out patents in various places and wanted to to he was kind of an evangelist for his machine um, so uh, he went to France um, and various uh, manufacturers that produced these things in France there was a there was a little vogue for them um, in Paris especially um, there were they were pretty pricey machines it, it cost a lot of money to produce one of these things and um, so it was not it was not a at that point not a um you know not a, a democratic machine we think of the bicycle as something that is is for the masses but that's really a phenomenon of the um the 1890s bicycle boom at this point they were they're expensive so it was it was well to do people who could afford them um anyway soon after they arrived in france they made their way to England, where again, um, various manufacturers began to, 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 um, began to yeah, build these things. Um, and a, uh, a fad for them kind of erupted briefly but intensely, um, especially around the year 1819, among the kind of, um, I, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, Beaumont of London at that time. Um, famously, um, what was called the, the in England, the Velocipede or nicknamed the Dandy Charger, the Dandy Horse, the, um, um, the Dandy Cart, um, was, um, was embraced by the Prince Regent himself. Uh, this was the period of the Regency, so, so George, the kind of um, ne'er-do-well son of the king, uh, who was such a famous party boy? Um, <laughs> had his great big uh, palace in Brighton, where all the all the CNBC crowd went to debauch. <laughs> um, he, uh, I think, had a had a um, had five of these things that he kept at his palace in Brighton, and a number of the um, of the people in that kind of set. Um, uh, yeah, embrace the thing. So there, there was there was this this vogue for them, especially among so-called dandies—that is, you know, well-dressed, well-bred, um, rich party boys, um, young men in uh, in London in this in this sort of period of the of like height of the Regency. Um, and uh, and and it's very, it was, it's interesting because you know, as I say, we we think of the bicycle as something that is as a machine for the masses but at this point it was very much you know a plaything of of the wealthy and for that reason became the object of, of populist resentment so um there was um there was a, there was a lot of kind of there was a sort of an instant backlash among regular people towards this machine in part because yeah it was associated with these with these um you know rich waste rolls but also because it was um thought to be a kind of illicit or illegitimate machine um, it was taking up space on roads that were that were that were thought to be um, the exclusive domain of horses and horse-drawn vehicles, um, and also these things were were run a lot in on on pavements, sidewalks, and in the parks of of London and other cities. Um, and because because especially because people viewed these things as as eliciting dangerous as a threat to uh, you know they were thought to be um, f- freaking out. Horses. Um, there's some evidence that this was true. Horses would start at the site of one of these things, and also, uh, you know, posed posed a danger to pedestrians. Um, various um, bans were enacted, both in England, first in England, and then in various other places. Um, that this machine reached. Interestingly, there's there's evidence that um, that a number of these things made their way to Calcutta, and that a, a similar ban was imposed there. Um, and there are also uh, were velocipedes like this um, in the states a couple of years later 1820 1821 and and the same pattern repeated so you know they were there they they were, they were swiftly bans were imposed um, by authorities who thought yeah these things are, need to be pushed off the road so that very first kind of bicycle boom or bicycle boomlet was a quite short-lived um, and and B um, very much um, you know, uh, anticipated some of the same debates that we see to this day about, um, whether the bicycle is a legitimate vehicle, whether it there's, you know, a cyclist has, um, a right to the roadway, um, that sort of one.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
2: Yeah, you have a, this kind of funny quote from from the poet John Keats reacting to the bicycle, and he he is not a not a fan of it, which was you know funny to think of him being there you know sort of observing uh the the invention and then first rise of the bicycle um you know you talk you mentioned a little bit this you know, this idea of the the bicycle sort of taking over the road and imposing on you know the, the domain of horses uh can you talk a little bit you know just about this general rivalry between horses and bikes and you know what they are kind of different symbol you know the different Cultural um, symbols, you know, the, the 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 horse being maybe more traditional, the bike being this kind of thing that was more revolutionary, uh, you know, even you know a, a, maybe a, a feminist uh, um, form of transportation as well.
0: Yeah, so so right from the start, the bicycle was was framed as a kind of replacement horse. Um, uh, to go back to Carl von Drais, he he said this explicitly. He made a comparison between the horse and the bicycle in terms of like the you know the, how how quickly they could move. Um, his very first ride, I think, pointedly this was a sort of public trend demonstration in Mannheim where he unveiled the Laufmaschine. He went to um, like a livery, like to a stables. That ride ended at a stables, and I think he was he was making a kind of rhetorical point there. This is the new horse. Um, but uh, yeah, right from that the get-go, it was it was perceived as a threat by people who, for instance, made their livelihoods in the um, in the horse trade in various ways. So um, hacking carriage drivers, veterinarians, um, horse you know, <laughs> um, blacksmiths who created horseshoes. All these all these people looked upon the bicycle as 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 both you know. A very poor replacement for the for the horse. A very weird idea that you want to have a machine instead of a horse, but also um, also um, a, a threat a threat in, in economic terms. Um, and this this we can sort of trace this three, this theme forward um, through the through the various stages of the bicycle development. So in you know the eighteen 18 the middle part of the 19th century you get a, a new bicycle that was known as a bone shaker because it was um, it had sort of big wheels but it was again poorly engineered this this unlike the Lauf machine it was a pedal it was a bike driven by pedals but it was a direct drive the pedals were on the wheel as opposed to you know they, they weren't in the middle of the bike pulling a pulling a, a rear driven chain um, <laughs> and then 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 comes the the um, the famous high wheeler of penny Farthing, that's that crazy looking bike with the giant front wheel and the very small one in the back, again, with a direct drive. But in this period too, uh, the, rhetoric, the rhetoric around the bicycle was like, yeah, this is this is the new horse. And moreover, it's better than the horse because unlike the horse, you it's cheaper. Um, you don't have to keep it in a stable. You don't have to feed it. It's not gonna get sick, at least not in the same way a horse does. Um, it doesn't foul the pavement <laughs> um, by <laughs> going to the bathroom, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Columbia Columbia bicycle is one of the, the, the big early American bicycle manufacturers. Um, called their their in, in 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 their advertising literature, they called in big advertising posters. They called their their high wheeler bicycle an ever an ever saddled horse which eats nothing. Um, so uh, so yeah, this would this this tension existed. And by the time um, we get what is known as the safety bicycle, the, the, the modern bicycle with the rear chain drive, the diamond shaped frame, this bicycle, what it was called the safety bicycle because mm-hmm. it was safer <laughs> than the earlier models. It was, you know, you were less prone to, uh, as they used to say, taking a header, flying over the, the handlebars and pitching off and cl- clonking your head on the pavement. And by the time we get that, that bike in 1885, um, uh, the, uh, the this this horse bicycle rivalry is 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 something that's been you know is now decades old, um, but in this period um, the bicycles you know that up until that time there was there was there was kind of, there was a lot of um, there were a lot of utopian um, dreams around the bicycle before um, before the the, the eighteen eighty five but once we get that safety bicycle with pneumatic um, tires and um, and um, you know a much better engineered bike, a much cheaper bike that um, that many more people, millions more people, can suddenly ride, we have suddenly the people's nag, the people's horse, a a, 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 a machine for the masses, um, and it is truly um, a a revolutionary moment. This. The, 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 the long dreamed of successor to the, to you know the, the horse-drawn cart has arrived um, it's viewed as a machine which is um, uh, you know a, um, an emancipatory device that, you know providing not just a, a new kind of personal autonomy but um, uh, you know kind of uh, supercharging your ability to move quickly across the land um, but also um, has um, has all kinds of uh, political resonances. Um, famously this, this bike was um, the new bike was one that wa- that women um, uh, could ride um, or it was thought with the earlier more poorly engineered bikes that it was too dangerous for women to ride them suddenly you have millions of women taking to them and there and they become along with, um, the bloomer pantaloons that women have to we- that women take to wearing in order to ride these, truly a symbol of you know, emancipated new new womanhood, a a, a both a um, both a symbol and a kind of tool of resistance for suffragists who ride these things to the barricades. So, yeah, um, there's all that kind of new um, new political spoke. Symbolism and uh, uh, around the bicycle, um, and and the the, the horse then um, is embraced by kind of bicycle um with a, a, a very pointed uh, political animus. It's it, it people who are um, who are against who who maybe you know align themselves against the new woman, um, the kind of uh, suffragist cause. Um, Embrace the bicycle on on kind of those on, on, on sort of traditionalist terms, um, and uh, uh, moreover, um, you know the, the, the bicycle uh, the bicycle was since it was a machine for the masses. It was uh, there were there were there were horse partisans who, who clung to the horse as a kind of um, as a as a kind of icon of the old better social order. Um, of agrarianism over against modernity and the machine age, et cetera.
2: It, you sort of, you know, started talking about the kind of the role that, uh, you know, the bike has played for, you know, maybe let's say political dissidents or, you know, activists. Uh, what, you know, what is this, the, the, what is it about the bicycle that has allowed it to, you know, be this sort of tool for those without much power to kind of assert themselves. Um, you know, you, you, you even talk about the, you know, the use of the bike as a, you know, as in protest, the use of the bike for war, you know, it's something that you can hop on, you can ride in really quickly and do something, and then you can, you know, hightail it out of there really, you know, you know without making any sound. Um, what, you know, what are sort of the, the ways in which the bike has been used in these ways?
0: Yeah, no, it's very interesting. The bicycle, the bicycle is cheap, first and foremost, <laughs> you know, compared to certain other, um, you know, other forms of transportation. So it's available to many people, and um, and um, yeah, if you know, you can you can organize a bicycle protest pretty quickly. You can as as you as you mentioned, you can kind of mobilize and, uh, but also elude <laughs> elude um, authorities on on, on bikes. Um, So it has been, um, it's definitely played a role in all kinds of um, social movements. There's been, you know, of course there's, um, uh, there's, and today with the environment, you know, beginning in the 70s with the the rise of the environmental movement, the the bicycle was you know, very importantly seen as an alternative to, to the car. The name of my book is Two Wheels Good. That comes from a, a, a bicycle activist phrase, which is of course derived from um, uh, a, a phrase in, in George Orwell's um, Animal Farm. But the idea there is two wheels good, four wheels bad. The bike has very much been been championed as this greener, cleaner machine, um, a, uh, a, um, a machine, a um, machine, a, a machine that can even, um, you know, save the world. That will that will <laughs> um, lead to uh, better personal health outcomes, but also, you know, a, a healthier planet. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, this kind of um, um, rhetoric around the bicycle, for and for good reason. You know, obviously, like uh, cities. Um, um, in the in, in in our our current age, I uh, would be health healthier, cleaner, serener, more habitable if we were all riding around on bikes as opposed to you know stuck in horrible traffic jams um, in automobiles. But one of the things that I that I point out in the bike is that as a as a I mean sorry in the book I should say in in the book about the bike is that um, bicycles are are um, you know they don't have um, any kind of fixed meaning. Um, their political their their um, their political valence depends on the time and place and where you are. So, so you know. Um, and and this is where you know I departed from a lot of the the at least the kind of a lot of the trade book literature on the bike, which which has has you know viewed the bike as as purely this emancipatory device this insurgent, even punk vehicle, um, because bicycles were used, for instance, by colonial officials in, um, uh, you know, colonies in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. A lot of the places that the bicycle first reached, um, they were ridden by soldiers or missionaries or prospectors who were, you know, (laughs) riding the bicycle on, uh, onto indigenous lands or to wage war. Um, so this is this is a this is like you know a, I think a, an interesting um, aspect of, of bicycle culture which which is which is coming into focus a lot more these days um, because um, because for instance um, uh, in cities today you have on the one hand um, these wonderful bike sharing schemes and a, a kind of um, resurgent bike, bicycle activism—that's um, that's championing the idea of the bicycle uh, as uh, the bicycle safe uh, as a um, uh, as a vehicle that that can improve people's lives, bring us safer streets, better cities. Um, but others have pointed out that in fact, um, when you build bicycle lanes, you often bring gentrification to your neighbor, to to neighborhoods, that there's inequities um, that arrive with the bicycle. Um, we see this also in terms of the manufacturing of the bicycle, because even though the bicycle's reputation is that of a, of a, of a clean green machine, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, you know, the bicycle is a, is a product of, of industrial, ta- of capitalism. There are raw materials that have to be pulled out of the ground in order to create a bicycle, extractive industries have, their, have problematic human rights records. There's incidents um, in places like Bangladesh and Vietnam where you have child laborers building bicycles. So the bicycle as a, as a, as a, um, as a kind of um, political um, tool is um, kind of perennially up for grabs. I'll, I'll say one more thing about this. This is very dramatically illustrated um, here in New York City in the summer of 2020, when, you know, in the wake of the, of the, the murder of George Floyd, there was the, the great uprising with thousands and thousands pouring into the streets to protest. Many here in New York, many of those people were, of those protesters, were riding bicycles, but they were met out in the streets by New York's own um, brigade of bicycle, of very, of, you know, of armored bicycle cops. Um, who not only used their bicycles as kind of shields, um, but as bludgeons, as weapons to um, uh, in these protests. So you had you had the uh, you know a fight for the for the political meaning of the bicycle happening right out there on the streets um, in in 2020.
2: Something that you include in the book is this uh, you know a really interesting section of just your your personal history with the bike, and I think it. It helps, you know, make sense of uh, you know, the sort of approach and tack that you've taken to writing to writing this book, because I think that, you know, this is a a very, I think, different book than other nonfiction books that I've read. You know, each chapter really is um, you know, kind of takes a different approach and different focus. So, you know, how did you first, you know, what, what's your earliest memories with with biking? And, you know, what is your your current, you know, relationship with biking like?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the funny thing about that chapter is, um, I, I I was I was a little nervous about doing memoir in any way. It's not it's not where it, it's not my super duper comfort zone. Um, although there, you know, I do write in the first first person quite a bit in this book. But what I realized was this is this is a kind of how the sausage is made aspect. <laughs> of this, but I but I there were there were various themes that I didn't wasn't able to get into the book that I wanted to write about. So writing a memoir chapter was kind of my, my sneaky way of shoehorning in ideas about what it's like to bike in the city and in New York in particular, to discuss um, the, you know, um, the, the, you know, sort of briefly the history of um, children and bicycles and, and the, um, and the, Ideal of the child's first ride on a bike, um, to talk about growing old on a bike, um, and also to get into some of the, the big questions um, about the future of the bike in the city, s- safety and lack thereof for cyclists. All these things I kind I kind of I kind of managed to kind of sneak in um, via this device of a, of a, a memoir chapter. Um, but in terms of uh, it turned out to be like the right choice I think because um, you know you don't always want to be speaking as um, some sort of alleged expert about history and, and this, this is the one sub- subject to which I can make a fair a decent claim to be expert which is my own, my own experience is you know riding bikes around so um, so yeah you know the, the bike, like bikes have always been um, a big part of my my daily routine but also you know a big part of like for lack of a better term my my this will sound grandiose but my spiritual life like I get I get to a a zone a zone of um that that I don't that I don't get to in other you know realms of life in other like literal walks of life when I'm on a bike like when I'm walking around town I feel I often feel like I'm kind of, you know, forging a river <laughs> or like walking through the mire or quicksand or something because I'm so used to moving swiftly on my bike. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, like, you know, I, I, what, what, what really, um, what I think like, you know, at, at this point in my biking life, it's, it's almost like a physical need I have to be on the bike because I don't feel, I don't feel great being off one, especially when I'm just like, you know, going about my my daily business here in New York. I'm I should I should add, I'm not at all a sport cyclist. I, I'm like a, a a transport, not sport guy. Like I don't really know how to ride a bike properly. I've never I've never squeezed myself into spandex, which is, which is definitely good for myself and for my family and the community at large. Um, and you know, like when people have um, ask me like people who are who are real cyclists who actually know how to ride a bike and maybe like you know take their bike out out of New York City to like Bear Mountain in New Jersey or something like that and, and you know ride the mountain when I've had to ride along with those people I, I huff and puff and it's a disaster so but on a bike you know tooling around the city I feel I feel pretty good um, and I and I wanted to like use this chapter to kind of discuss that those kind of Sensual, spiritual aspects of being a cyclist, and kind of and kind of sort through my my idea my ideas about it. Um, so so yeah.
2: It, in in another section in the book, you talk about a cyclist named Danny McCaskill, um, mm-hmm. and y- y- you mentioned this particular video that went viral on YouTube that he put up in two thousand nine of him. You know he's a uh, riding a mountain bike sort of doing bmx type trick tricks but it's just like unbelievable and it was really it was actually i you know when i read was reading that section i pulled the video up and it was really strange because i it was like i i i remember seeing it when it came out and what's funny about it too is i actually like had this brief period of time in like 2009 2010 where i was like an obsessive uh like fixed geared bicyclist i wasn't really bad at it but you mm. know But there was this kind of, I'm sure you remember like 2009, 2010, 11, this kind of like fixed gear, you know, uh, moment. Uh, And yeah, I remember watching that video and I was like, I need to get into biking again. Uh, So that that was, that's a really great video. And about it too, is the song in it is Funeral by Band of Horses, which I thought was kind of funny that it's a band of horses and it's the bicycle and it kind of like, frames it so
0: yeah no, no that it's funny the um I, that that section of the book is is a, it focuses it's it's sort of like a, a mini profile of this great what's called a trial cyclist danny mccaskill um this is you know his 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 cycling art is is doing these uh trial cycling is a sport which is basically involves which is which Privileges balance above all. It's about it's about trying to like ride around without ever letting your feet hit the ground and doing all kinds of. I assume I can say this on this podcast, like rad badass stunts, like you know, like you jumping around, jumping your bike off of um, from great heights, you know, hopping between bollards, you know, kind of shredding the cityscape in 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 something like what what a, a practitioner of parkour does or a skater. Um, so I used I used the story of Danny McCaspel to kind of like then dip back into the nineteenth century history of of trick cycling, um, but 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 w- what I think is you know um, one of the most interesting aspects of of that chapter and of and really you know one of the, the the key themes in in the story of the bicycle generally is this idea that a bicycle is not just a device that you can roll along the ground. It's a kind of a flying machine. Um, you know, uh, a lot of what Danny McCaskill does and what, what trip cyclists have, have done through the decades and across the, and now over two centuries is get air. You know what I mean? Like fly through the air on the bike. Um, and 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 this this is this is um, an idea that you know was um in bicycle culture right from the beginning to go back to the that that Lauf machine or the Velocipede um you know very the early observers of that thing compared it to Pegasus you know the 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 the, the winged stallion of Greek mythology mythology and we can trace this this idea straight up through bicycle culture to the present day so there were always these ideas about the bicycle as as a flying machine. Um, Before there was ever an airplane, people were kind of trying to create um, uh, bicycle airships, various hybrids where you you attach wings to a bike. Um, There's famous advertising images from the the period of the great 1890s bicycle boom, which depict kind of nymphs or goddesses, mythological figures, women generally on bicycles in outer space. And, and of course we can trace this right up to the present day um, or to more recent times something like et the famous the famous bike ride in ET where where the, the child and the alien go are silhouetted against the moon and go biking through the night sky um, and, you know and this for me is like is is, a, is this is like the romantic uh, image uh, idea of the bike that I can really get the time behind because of course when you're on the bike you you Sometimes you really do feel like you're you're flying. You're not you're not quite earthbound, at least in your mind. And also, if you want to get technical about it, you're 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 you are traveling on air because you're there's pneumatic tires that are that are kind of holding you aloft from from the pavement. So, so yeah, uh, in, in a way, um, to go back to trick cycling, you know, all any time you get on a bike, you're performing a stunt, right? You're keeping the bike balanced. You're, you're riding the bike on air. Um, you're making you know, all these little corrections, basically the entire time, that you're not even conscious of to keep the bike upright. Um, so, you know, in a sense, we're all trick cyclists. And in a sense, we're all, all cyclists are, are are pilots as, as well as, well as you know, travelers, travelers on terra firma.
2: Well, Jody, thank you so much for being on New Books Network. It was great talking to you. Uh, I really recommend this book, even for those that aren't cyclists. Uh, if someone doesn't bike and reads this book, maybe it will inspire them to uh, to get out there and ride around. Um, but yeah, no, I certainly you know agree with you. I think biking is, you know, it's I I I I try and bike every single day, and it's definitely a day without biking is not not a very, not as good as a, as a day with one with, <laughs> with biking. So thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.